Hey, April Bear here. Thanks for tuning in to Stateside's podcast today. We just wanted to let you know there are parts of this episode that describe sexual violence. Starting when she was a teenager, Leslie King was sex trafficked. She would walk the streets of Grand Rapids, a victim of manipulation and violence. Decades later, she returned to those same streets with a new purpose, supporting women like her. When I come back out here, even though everything resurrects, I see it different. I see things differently, even though I see the old stomping grounds, I just visualize different when I'm working with these women. I just see wounds, uh, I see pain, um, then I see beauty, um, healing. I see it all, um, and it doesn't bother me. King runs an outreach organization in Grand Rapids called Sacred Beginnings. Its mission is to connect with others who may be victims of sex trafficking and to provide them with supplies and support. At night, Leslie King and other volunteers fill up the trunk of her car with things to bring to the women they encounter. These are blessed bags. These are what we take out on the streets. Oh. And they, they come with a lot of things. Toothpaste, toothbrush, um, tampons, uh, tampex, socks, um, like I said, toothbrush, soap, deodorant, um, shampoo. But while King made big strides in building a new life, there's one thing that kept standing in her way, a long rap sheet of convictions related to her time on the street. Her life changed this year when Governor Gretchen Whitmer issued her a gubernatorial pardon, wiping her record clean. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Today we're going to hear Leslie's story of human trafficking in Michigan and all about the legal battle to clear her record. All of my clients are important. They're each on their own journey. But I can say without hesitation that the opportunity to walk alongside Leslie on this pardon journey has been the honor of a lifetime. Madeline Lane is a partner with Warner, Norcross & Judd, the law firm that worked on Leslie King's case. We're going to hear more from her in a few minutes, but first, Leslie's story. I was born and raised in a very, very dysfunctional home. My father was a chronic alcoholic who beat my mother for breakfast, lunch, brunch, and dinner. Mm. My mother was a chronic workaholic, and I was the oldest of three children. Um, molested at the age of eight years old by a cousin, and I was told um, if you ever say anything, your father's going to kill your mother. So I, I held on to that secret. Um, growing up, I had a lot of issues, um, daddy issues, abandonment, rejection. I just had so many issues that I didn't know were issues that played a big part in me um, becoming a victim. I kept running away from home, running away from home. And I was walking down the street one day and a guy pulled up to me and asked me why I was crying. And it was telling me how dangerous it is to be out here and I shouldn't be out here. And can he take me for the lunch? So he took me to lunch and we went out to eat and he's asking me questions. I'm answering them and he'll drop me off. And every day he would come and pick me up and we'll go out to eat. Then we start going by clothes and 
going to different bars. But he's asking me questions about my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother. And at that time, I had a child and he was asking me about my son. And he's asking me all these questions and I'm answering them and the good, the bad and the ugly. And he's like, well, your mom and dad shouldn't have did this and this shouldn't have happened. If it was me, I would have did this, I did that. So he really gained my trust. One day when uh, the bar closed, we went to his one of his friend's house. Like we like we always did. I, I didn't think nothing of it because we always did that. But this time was different because when I came to, his friend was on top of me having sex with me any way that he wanted to. Um, I'm looking for this man who claims to love me and nobody would ever hurt me. He, he was, he looked like the devil himself went and he just told me, he called me the B word and told me to get his money. When the act was done, he um, grabbed me by my hair, threw me in a car, took me around a corner to this house. And there were other women in the house. I was the youngest. I was told if I run, if I tell the police, they were going to kill my mom, my brother, my sister, and my child. And they were going to cut my body parts up and and bury my body all across the state of Michigan. No one would ever find me. Um, then I was taken out on South Division here in Grand Rapids at the age of 15. I was sold from here to California. There's not a state I haven't been in where I was trafficked over 20 years. And this is, you know, thank you for being willing to to share some of this story with us. This is presented just to help people understand that that in in every case there are people involved who have, you know, who don't, you know, who've lost hope in other things in their life and to and to point out that these are these are very difficult and very extreme and very psychologically complicated circumstances. What was important in your life in terms of finally getting getting away from this man and the situation? At that time, there was nothing important in my life. Um, my life has always been full of pain. Um, when he went to prison, um, when he finally went to prison, I continued in the life of prostitution. And, you know, a lot of people ask me why. And I tell them, how can you do something if you don't know how? This was ingrained in me. This, I mean, this, the beatings, the, the, the prostitution, this was daily. So once he got locked up in prison, I didn't know what else to do. And I continued into the life of prostitution and really got heavy into substance abuse. So I wouldn't have to think. And I wouldn't have to feel July 4th of 2000, I tried to commit suicide. Um, I just wanted the pain to be over. I just wanted to go to sleep and never wake up so I wouldn't have to feel or think I, I didn't have to hurt anymore. I took the pills, the alcohol, everything um, that I could do to, to make me go to sleep and stop my heart. And I remember vividly... Uh, my heart slowing down and with the last breath that I had, I um, 
I just screamed. I was like, if there's a God in heaven, help me. It's so hard to tell people what I felt, but it felt like internally I received the biggest hug that I never received as a child. I knew I was going to be okay. I called my mom and she came and got me. Mind you, they hadn't seen me in years and my mom thought I was dead. And so you got to understand, I never believed in God because me, if there was a God, why did he allow so many horrible things to happen to me? But July 4th, that was sacred. That was between me and God. So that's why I named it Sacred Beginnings, because no matter what, every day that I wake up, every day that you wake up, every day that anyone opens their eyes, it's a chance for a new beginning. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Leslie and Madeline share more about the long path that led to a pardon. I just dropped to my knees and threw my hands up to God and just screamed. That's all I could do. Back in a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Leslie, tell us a little bit about your process as you came to the point of finding sacred beginnings. What were the things that you were keeping in mind about what was going to make a difference, both for for people who, you know, had reached a, a breaking point and maybe for those who weren't there yet, but who wanted to find a way out? I didn't know what to do. I didn't I, I didn't know how to work. I didn't know how to do anything. Um when I went into a, a treatment, um, I went into detox and then I went into a program called Rosehaven that was ran by the Dominican nuns. Um, and there I worked on the little girl because I had trust issues. Um, I had to start working on that little girl. I had to start working on little Leslie. And that's exactly what I did as painful as it as it was to to go back to that place and up to where I'm at now. Um, that wasn't easy. And I'm like, what do I do now? What is it that I do? And I just knew that I had to I had to help other women like myself. Um, I graduated Rosehaven and became first ever resident to become a staff. Next thing you know, here I get a card from the Grand Rapids Police Department stating they want to talk to me. And that was like, I'm not talking to the police, um, but they were persistent. And I got hired SWAP, Social Work and Police Partnership. I got hired as 
the outreach coordinator. That's where I went right back on the streets working with the working with women that I had drugs with, and many of us had the same pimp. Um, I'm working with these women, advocating for them in different uh, arenas. But the thing, I'm just one day I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, but at the end of the day, there's nowhere for them to go. You know, I can help them, but when it's time to go home, many of them don't have a home. So they go back to what they know how to do for survival. And that's how I started Sacred Beginnings. It's a home for women who are trying to escape the life of prostitution and or trafficking. Madeline, could you maybe pick up the story and explain how the two of you met and started working together? Absolutely. So we were connected through an organization known as the Joseph Project, which is based out of the east side um, in the Detroit area of Michigan. And their purpose is to connect survivors of human trafficking with pro bono legal resources to do the types of things that Leslie and I worked on, which is to clear your criminal record. So some some individuals are able to qualify for an expungement. Um, The state has made great strides in the last few years, broadening the availability of expungement for offenders, but not everyone is eligible to have their record wiped clean under the Clean Slate Act. In some cases, like Leslie, who was trafficked for over two decades, she just had too many criminal offenses to qualify. So we decided to apply for a pardon, and that was her only option. And I think that um, the Joseph Project's work that they are doing is very similar to what we did here at Warner with Leslie, but is walking alongside someone and not only just walking them through the criminal process, but having somebody in your corner, which is what Leslie is doing for, uh, you know, the women and other survivors that she's working with here in Grand Rapids. It's just knowing that you have somebody who is there for you, who is there to support you. And so I greatly appreciate the opportunity to meet Leslie that I was afforded through our relationship with the Joseph Project. Leslie, what was your experience like of trying to, working to get your record expunged? Can you tell us a little bit about it? It was hard and depressing. Um, I kept trying to go for an expungement and I kept getting denied. And it just put me in a real bad place because I was like, you know, I've over 20 years, I've, I've, I've done everything that I could possibly do to change my life around. And I'm not that person anymore, but people still see me as this felon. And it was real sad, you know, um, to get rejected for something that was not my fault. I didn't understand how people could see that I was a victim of trafficking, but still hold this over my head. So I I, I just got tired of fighting. Folks who are listening now may have some idea of of how uh, having a felony on one's record or even really a misdemeanor, you know, some of the consequences that that has for, that brings for people's lives in terms of opportunities for housing or employment. Leslie, is there anything, is there anything that's specific to trafficking that, that you think is unique? Yes. For many, for many um, survivors, 
you know, they they can only get low low wage paying jobs. Um, they have children now. They have families now, and they can't even make ends meet because of their record. So we have many who just go back to the life just to support their children. And to me, um, I mean, like they become productive members of society. They did their time for something that was that was pressed upon them. But now they have to carry this burden. Madeline, is there anything that, that you would say that, that changed the game in terms of seeking the pardon for Leslie's record? I think it was Leslie. Um, all of my clients are important. They're each on their own journey. But I can say without hesitation that the opportunity to walk alongside Leslie on this pardon journey has been the honor of a lifetime. This is someone who's gone through trauma that most of us can't even begin to imagine. But not only did she escape, but she succeeded in gaining an education. She went to Grand Valley State University and is working on her social work degree. And now that her criminal record has been wiped clean, she'll be able to um, become a licensed social worker here in Michigan. She raised a loving family. And she made the decision not just to run from the streets, but to return to them. She is literally out on the streets of Grand Rapids and throughout West Michigan and, and frankly, throughout the country, talking with other victim survivors as a symbol of hope and showing them that they too can escape and thrive. And when we went to submit the pardon application, we had... Um, letters of support for the application, both from the current Attorney General of Michigan, Dana Nessel, and the past Attorney uh, Michigan Attorney General, Bill Schuette, right? Both sides of the political spectrum. And I think that that really spoke to the fact that Leslie, for, for so many people, is a symbol of hope. Leslie, I mean, given the, the years that this wasn't coming, I'm not going to assume that there was one big aha moment. But when you did get the call about it, did, was that was that when you was that when you found out that you were getting the pardon that this was actually happening? Yeah, I was sitting um, here at my desk working, and I seen um, an, a call from a five one seven area code, no name, no anything, and I picked it up. And it was like the person on the end said, "Is this Leslie King?" I was like. Well, yes, this is Leslie King. And they told me, I forgot the name, but they told me who they were. And they told me they was from the governor's office. So in my head, some of that, they said that I'm like, oh, here we go again with another no. And she said, the governor is very impressed of what you're doing and what you've done with your life. And she said, the governor has granted you your pardon. All I could do was scream. I, I was in my office. I just dropped to my knees and threw my hands up to God and just screamed. That's all I could do. Mm. <laughs> Madeline, what, like, can you give us, I mean, it, even getting a, getting a criminal, uh, you know, a pardon or some kind of record expungement is, is difficult under any circumstances. Would you say that there are legal barriers that would stand in the way of other other people who are victims of trafficking from doing what Leslie did? Absolutely. I think access to legal counsel is 
probably the number one barrier. And that's why the work that the Joseph Project is doing um, and all of their partners, like um, I know Warner Norcross and Judd here in Grand Rapids has, is assisting on another pardon application. It's important for those in the legal community to help support victim survivors and, and provide access to those resources so that I mean, everything from just actually filling out the application, gathering all of the records um, from every, you know, different district court or circuit court, you know, going through, cutting through red tape to get old records, um, putting together uh, the final packet with uh, letters of support. I think all of that is just time and resources that a lot of people don't have, don't have available to them. And so I think, um, I know here at Warner, we were just absolutely thrilled to be able to assist Leslie and and other clients of the Joseph Project with with these type with both the pardon and expungement applications. And um, I'm hopeful that others in the legal community here in Michigan and throughout the country will see the story and you know also think that they too can help to cut down those barriers and provide the resources to other individuals like Leslie that are just so incredibly deserving of having their record expunged or pardoned. Leslie, is there anything that you would want people to know about, you know, what what difference this makes in your life today? I mean, you've been you've been committed to, you know, to the advocacy path that you're on for a long time now. But what does this make possible for you? I'm free. I am I'm free. Even though I've been out of the life and assisting help and others, I still felt like I had a ball and chain on my leg and I could only do so much um, because of I, I was I was a felon. But now I'm able to go back to college to pursue my dream and actually become a licensed master social worker. Um, I have houses, but I can apply for things and my record won't pop up to deny me of that. So for me, finally, I'm able to actually say I'm free. That's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Ronia Kabansag with reporting from April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank and Mercedes Mejia. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the podcast comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. We are always so glad to have you with us. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.